host, Anthony Cottrell, and this is my podcast, Theologizing Life, where we will talk about how what we think about God shapes the way we live. This is the first episode in the podcast, and so it's an introductory episode. I want to introduce you to myself and then also tell you a little bit about the podcast and the vision and goal for it. So my name is Anthony, and I've been married for nine years to my wife, Emily, and we have two beautiful children, Titus and Evelyn. Titus will be four, and Evelyn is just a little over one. And um, they both are a joy. They're absolute goobers sometimes, and I love them to pieces. Um, But being a parent, I have found, is simultaneously an extreme joy and an extreme challenge. And... um, definitely growing as a parent, but it's it's one of my favorite things is being a dad. I'm also a pastor. I've been a pastor for nine years at a church in northern Indiana. I served for five years as the youth pastor, and then I transitioned into a role where I oversee small groups, a couple volunteer teams, the care team, and uh, I coach a couple staff members and do sort of a variety of things uh, here at the church. I grew up in a Christian home, grew up going to church, and I actually went to a Christian school as a kid from first first grade uh, through 12th grade. And when I was young, at some point, kind of later elementary, I sensed this call to ministry. It's kind of hard to describe or define. Um, I just, it was a pool. Uh, towards ministry, this sense that that was what I was supposed to do with my life. And uh, when I got into high school, it became more specifically targeted towards youth ministry. I felt a call and a pulling to that. So I went to Indiana Wesleyan University and studied youth ministry and uh, double majored in biblical literature. And after graduating, I I got a job as a youth pastor. And then I decided I would be a glutton for punishment. And I went back to school Uh, at Wesley Seminary at at Indiana Wesleyan and pursued my Master's of Divinity. I graduated uh, from seminary in 2017. And so um, ministry has has been a big part of my story. Growing up uh, in the Christian school I went to is an independent fundamental Baptist Christian school. Now, it's important for you to understand and know that uh, my parents, we did not go to an IFB church. One of the things, if you don't know much about uh, the IFB uh, tradition within within Christianity, in my opinion, uh, there's a little bit of rigid legalism there. A couple examples would be um, they have some very strict uh, sort of rules, I guess, uh, about attire, about what you wear, um, specifically for women, but even, even for men. Um, they're... Uh, do not listen to secular music, especially uh, rock music and even Christian music that sounds like rock music. So um, what is called contemporary Christian music was a no-no. Um, and then the King James Version uh, was believed to be the only uh, reliable English translation. And so that was kind of what the school I went to, some of the things they believe. But in contrast, the church I went to, uh, our pastor did not wear a tie. He wore jeans and a button-up shirt when he preached. He preached from the New International Version, the NIV, and we played contemporary Christian worship songs. And so there's a bit of a, a difference in how um, we pursued our faith as a family and what 
I sort of heard taught at the school I went to. And so even though we didn't believe some of those things or adhere to some of those things as uh, as a family, um, I was still sort of shaped by that time and that experience at the Christian school. Uh, one of the things that it shaped in me was we were sort of taught apologetics, how to defend the faith. We had Bible class every day. It was uh, one of our subjects that we studied. And on one hand, learning some of those things, learning some of the answers uh, to defend our faith was really helpful. It was really good. I'm, I believe that we should know what we believe and why we believe it. But on the other hand, there were some of the answers that I now feel were a little reductionistic. They didn't do justice to the genuine questions of skeptics and critics or atheists. And so later in life, when I um, would encounter a question or encounter information that sort of didn't fit where one of my answers that I'd sort of been taught didn't fit, uh, it, it was sort of a source of um, some some crisis. And um really having to explore again and sort of re-explore what I believed. Part of what helped me in that sort of exploration process was my undergrad. Um, in my undergrad, I was exposed to a larger ocean of Christian orthodoxy. Um, I, I realized that the stream I had sort of been swimming in uh, led to this larger ocean of truth that um, within Christian orthodox belief, there's there's quite a spectrum. Um, and within church history, just learning more about church history and theology and how to study scripture sort of opened this reality that um, this thing I'm a part of is a little bit bigger than just my isolated experience. But it also awakened in me a desire to learn, uh, a love for studying the historical context of scripture. And it awakened in me um, a humility. I realized I didn't have all the answers that because I went to a Christian school for, you know, my, uh, entire life and had Bible class. I, uh, I didn't necessarily know all the answers and, um, that's humbling, but it's actually really helpful that in combination with ministry after college, um, I, I just through the years have encountered a number of different people and um, their stories. I've had a few cross-cultural experiences that also sort of um, force you to realize that the world is a little bigger than your little um, isolated experience. And uh, you begin to, to realize that some of the things you thought were true about how the world works uh, aren't necessarily true in any transcendent sort of way. Like there are things I believed about how the world worked that um, didn't work for some of the developing countries um, I went to and have uh, went on mission trips to or visited. So I started learning things about uh, scripture, theology, and church history. Um, I had some cross-culture experiences, and I started um, just having opportunities to engage with more and more people and enter into their stories. And what I found was um, that things are a little more complex than sort of my narrow categories, my sort of black and way, black and white way of looking at the world would allow. I started finding that there's some gray, and um, 
I love this quote by uh, N.T. Wright. It's kind of long, but it's from his book, Simply Christian. He says, we live in fact in a highly complex world within which we humans are probably the most complex things of all. I once heard a great contemporary scientist say that whether we are looking into a microscope at the smallest objects we can discern or gazing through a telescope at the vast recesses of outer space, the most interesting thing in the world remains that which is two inches or so on the near side of the lens. In other words, the human brain, including mind, imagination, memory, will, personality, and the thousand other things which we think of as separate faculties, but which all, in their different ways, interlock as functions of that brain and its relation to the rest of our lives, our complex personal identity. We should expect the world and our relation to it to be at least as complex as we are. I say this because people often grumble as soon as a discussion about the meaning of human life or the possibility of God moves away from quite simple ideas and becomes more complicated. Any world in which there are such things as music and sex, laughter and tears, mountains and mathematics, eagles and earthworms, statues and symphonies, and snowflakes and sunsets, in which we humans find ourselves in the middle of it all, is bound to discover that the quest for truth, for reality, for what we can be sure of, is infinitely more complicated than simple yes and no questions will allow. I have found that people are complex and some of my simple remedies for their struggles or my prejudices and assumptions about their stories have time and time again been proven wrong. I want to be clear. I believe the remedy is Jesus, but I believe in order to invite people to follow Jesus and encounter Jesus, we have to, like Jesus, enter into their stories. Kind of a theological term for this would be to be incarnational. Incarnation simply means in flesh. And it's this idea about Jesus. He was God in the flesh. He took on human flesh. He entered into the human experience. And as Jesus followers, that serves as an example and a model for how we can engage and minister to other people. We can enter into their stories and be incarnational. And so part of part of where this podcast hopes to go, part of where I hope to go with this podcast is what I have found is that my compassion, my grace, my love, my empathy for other people has grown the most through listening and encountering other people's stories. I have found that My compassion has grown when an issue has a face and a name. Things I used to think about homeless people, for example, 
have been challenged by actual relationships with people who were homeless. Things I used to think about immigration issues, which I want to be clear are, are complex, but things I used to believe about that were challenged by relationships with immigrants. And so what I hope to do with this podcast is invite various guests on the show in which we will talk about a number of issues, a very diverse array of issues. And my hope is that these conversations will create opportunity for other people to encounter stories that might change their hearts, that might challenge their views, that might awaken a passion in them or a love or compassion. And um, I hope it's a helpful dialogue because right now, at the time of recording this episode, we, we, are, we are living in a time where having constructive and helpful conversations um, seems to be a lost art. Uh, everybody seems to shout their opinion or their version of the truth or um, their perspective and it gets very militant very fast. It gets very toxic very fast, especially on social media platforms. So um, we're going to talk about race and racial reconciliation with some guests. We're going to talk about uh, suffering and, and how to find God in suffering. We're going to talk about uh, mental health and and how, as Christ followers, what how, how does that uh, relate to our theology we're going to talk about um, the the sex industry and sex trafficking, and um, hope to talk about spiritual warfare and um, a number of other things. And I hope you'll join me for these conversations. The goal is to release a new podcast uh, the first Wednesday of every month, so one one episode a month, and. Um, the goal is to keep these to 30 minutes long. Um, I personally, if you listen to podcasts, um, you may feel differently, but I personally have found that uh, the podcasts that go quite a bit longer than 30 minutes, I end up having to break up listening to them um, between commutes. And uh, sometimes I end up losing interest um, if I'm not able to pick it back up. And so um, of 30 minute episodes released once a month, and um, I'm going to be inviting guests on the show uh, to talk, and we're going to have uh, a discussion interview style. I want to share uh, as I close. As I said, I'm a pastor, and at the heart of things, I'm kind of a preacher. Um, that's I love talking about Jesus and, and Scripture. And um, today, as part of a Bible study that talked about John chapter 8, I want to read this passage, and I want to highlight a couple things uh, that I believe are true, because I believe these things um, are important for us to see in Jesus. I read in a book once by a guy named Michael Frost. He talked about one of his encouragements in, in the book was to learn Jesus, spend time in the gospels and learn Jesus. And so um, I try to do that. I, I, I try to spend time in the gospels learning who Jesus was and who he is uh, because I want to follow him. I don't want to just 
be a convert to Christianity who adheres to a, a set of doctrinal truths. I want to actually follow Jesus and I want my life to more and more look like his life. And so I believe it's important to read these things in scripture and see how Jesus interacts and to notice some of the things. And so I'm going to read John chapter 8 verses 1 through 11. It says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning. He came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. But the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law of Moses, he commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go. And from now on, sin no more. So Jesus is in the temple courts and he's teaching. It would have been pretty normal for someone to teach in the courts. It was like sort of this, this public space. Um, and people would gather around and listen to rabbis, listen to master teachers. And so it's likely Jesus was sitting uh, when he taught. Uh, but this group of scribes and Pharisees, uh, just sort of bust in on the scene and they bring this woman who is caught in the act of adultery. What's interesting about this is, first of all, how, how shameful would this be for this woman uh, to be brought into this sort of this public area in this way. But it's also interesting that they're trying to trap Jesus, breaking the law of Moses, um, but they themselves are breaking the law of Moses because uh, what the law um, condemns is both the man and the woman. Um, but here they brought only the woman. It raises the question because it takes two to tango. Where is the man? But that is beside the point that I want to make. So they bring this woman to Jesus and they say, Hey, what should we do with her? The law of Moses says to stone her. And they, uh, knowing that Jesus hung around tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes, uh, I think they expected him to sort of acquit her, to sort of um, not condemn her in that crowd. Uh, and, and in that way, they could trap him, breaking the law of Moses and sort of um, invalidate uh, his, um, his credibility, uh, sort of undermine his credibility as a teacher of the scriptures. Uh, but what he says instead, well, what's interesting, he bends down and he starts writing in the sand, which raises the other question. Uh, what was Jesus writing in the sand? We don't really know. Uh, there's a lot of fun speculations. Um, one speculation is that maybe he was writing uh, the, the law out and highlighting that it condemns the man as well. Um, others speculate maybe he was writing sins 
just a list of sins that some in that were present had committed. But he starts doodling in the sand and they're persisting to ask him. And he eventually stands up and says, you know, whoever's without sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. And one by one, they walk away. And uh, Jesus stands up and looks at the woman and says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And Jesus, being God in the flesh, was the only one who had the right to condemn her. He was the only one there without sin who could legitimately condemn her. And I want to point something out. She says, no one, Lord. And he said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go from now on, sin no more. I found sometimes in the church, it seems that we tend to believe that um, if we do not condemn sin in other people, that means we condone it. But it's very clear here that Jesus, that it is possible to both not condemn someone and call them to leave sin and the brokenness that it begets. It is possible to not condemn people while at the same time call them to leave sin behind. I also found something very interesting, and this goes back to that sort of incarnational idea. I was struck that said Jesus, once more he bent down. Some translations say he stooped down. But then it says they one by one, beginning with the older ones, left. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And then Jesus stood up. For whatever reason today, for the first time reading this passage, the visual image popped out to me of Jesus, God in the flesh, the creator of the universe, stooped down in the presence of, of this woman caught in sin. Jesus was kneeling. He was stooped. He was bent over in her presence. I found that to be just a beautiful picture of how God meets us. He stoops. God bends low to to reach us, to hear us, to engage relationally with us. Later on in John's gospel, in chapter 13, Jesus will again stoop to wash the disciples' feet, uh, an act that was extremely humiliating. Um, the lowest servants in the household, the, the, the lowliest slaves would wash the feet of guests. But Jesus, he stoops and in this self-giving act of love, washes the disciples' feet. And he says to them that this is an example for them, that they are to follow, that they are to go and do likewise. So I want to thank you if you've joined me for this episode of Theologizing Life. And I hope you join me for the next episode as we will be um, interviewing a good friend of mine, um, Kyle and a friend of his named Daniel, and uh, we are going to engage conversation about racial reconciliation. I hope you'll join me for that conversation. 
Um, But in the meantime, I want to encourage you to think about what it would look like for you to enter into people's stories, to stoop, to live incarnationally, to meet people where they are so that you can bring the love of Jesus to them. Thank you for joining me. Until next time.